Conversation, live from Nicaragua. Dive deep into the world of coffee with co-founders of Twin Engine Coffee, Andrea Wolverton and Colin Ganley. Welcome to Brewing Conversation, Season Zero, Episode 7. My name is Andrea Wolverton. And I'm Colin Ganley, and today we're talking about something that I don't know how we're going to squeeze it into one episode, taste and quality. And the best way to start that I think is to start this off is the question of, do you want to go an inch deep and a mile wide, or do you want to go profoundly deep in something? And an expert knows one thing very well, and they don't just have a superficial knowledge of everything. And coffee, I was in Pittsburgh a few months ago, and I went into a coffee store, and they had a beautiful, amazing display of sort of the coffees from all around the world. They had a barrel from this place, a barrel from that place, and you could go around and scoop different coffees from different places. And they all had different aromas and they had pretty little signs on them. And being a coffee professional, my first reaction was, yeah, but are any of these any good? Yeah, it's it's cool that you've got Jamaican and, and Ethiopian and you've got Nicaraguan and, and Hawaiian coffees. But did you get good coffees from those places? And I think that 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 concept of going a mile wide, but really just superficial into coffee versus what we do, which is we only have coffee from one or two places. But within those places, there's such tremendous depth of quality, tastes, terroirs, that we can provide uh, just as many coffees but a much richer experience by only taking the truly distinct, high-quality, pure coffees. It's time for my anecdote, local anecdote, which me, I think will explain this. Is that, And I'm doing it in my smiling voice. You tell me that you can hear smiles. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So the, the funniest thing is when I come back to Nicaragua and I'm trying to talk to people that we work with about coffee and like how people outside of Nicaragua, outside of where coffee grows, think about coffee because like many Nicaraguans, virtually very few people in that are drinkers have ever actually seen a coffee plant grow. Right. And so I say, did you know that when you go to, well, I guess Pittsburgh or wherever you want to go to, they are drinking a lot of coffees from different places. And the people I'm talking to will be like, what? Like, you mean, you mean like, cause only here you only drink Nicaraguan coffee. And right. so it's this, and it's, and a lot of different coffees, but it's this really funny concept to someone who lives where the coffee grows that where the coffee does not grow, they would be drinking coffees from different places. And they're like, well, how do they, how do they, do they visit those places? Do they know it? They, they just don't understand the concept at all. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's a funny thing. When we were starting the company, we th we were trying to think about what does it mean, and and because we came at this business from a pers from our our own backgrounds. My background was in one of the things that I really have enjoyed is creating products that you consume. So whether that's whether that's uh, food, alcohol, premium cigars, what have you, it's for me the idea of achieving that highest level, the very best of what you can produce was extremely compelling. And is really... My background's like the effects of those products. Yeah, well, 
your background lends a lot more to it than just that. But in I think for for this part, I think that that for me that was very motivational. Like knowing that we were uh, embarking upon this endeavor to to try to not only find the best producing farms, but then within those farms find the best tasting coffees within them. And in some cases take a coffee from this farm that, that has a really uh, chocolatey rich taste. And this other one, this other farm down the road that has uh, also defect free coffee with a, with a hint of citrus and blend those two together at a certain percentage to create a, a truly world-class remarkable coffee that was really motivational for me right so if we talk about these taste and quality well first we're talking about what is taste and quality but being essential to our success i mean we effectively found ourselves in uncharted territory right. people say you're a specialty coffee company coffee roaster in nicaragua so we had to think okay like what can we do well because what we can't compete with is economies of scale and being right in front of people in the coffee drinking country. But what we can do is find, like you're saying, like find coffees that almost no one ever gets to taste in a pure form because coffees are blended to normally to get to a lower price point. So what I've seen when I, when I travel abroad, the coffees in the pure form are selling, if you extrapolate out, I mean, they're selling for 30 or 40 bucks pound all of them, which would be starting with like our estate. So it's, it's quite a value. So we could create quality for value um, and really connect with nature and just like our new packaging with um, the, the, tr the triple shade, like exactly what trees, exactly what animals, um, this kind of connection that you can't, you can't get unless you live here. And there's uh, virtually... I was trying to count. I need to actually just find this. But, I, well, there's oh, no other 100% specialty coffee company doing this in Nicaragua that is available in the U.S. And so there's very, very few that are roasting at origin. Um, so, yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know. If, I don't think we want to name who they are, but there are competitors out there in the marketplace that offer coffees that are of the same quality from farms very nearby to where we are, and those coffees are all offered at what you were saying, $30, $35 a pound, etc. Or more. I mean they're very they're very exclusive. Yeah, I mean, and then of course there's no comparison for the for the Margohipe that we have for the Elefante. No one has anything like that. Right. Um, but we do try to keep everything at a really very, very fair price, like really reasonable, kind of cheap actually. I mean it, almost half price compared to what it would be at, at some of these other stores. But this this notion of of taste and quality it's when 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 you're in the farms there's a lot of theory about what creates great tasting coffee obviously you want to sort out any coffee with defects there are lots of things that you do but there's kind of a spiritual side or a mythological side or a, or a hypothetical side which is that the terroir the the other plants in the in the area of the microclimate the ecosystem the animals that yeah, live in that area as well as the more obvious things like the soil makeup and the and the slope of the hill, etc., and altitude, these kinds of things that most people talk about contribute. And so 
one of the things we wanted to do, because we're here and we know everything about the coffees, is we wanted to share that with everyone who drinks the coffee. So as an example, on our box for the Honey Bear Coffee, we put on one side a, a picture of the porcupine. The porcupine lives in the area where the coffee farms are, amongst other areas, and we provide on the side of the box just a little bit of information about the, the porcupines that live there and how they interact with the coffee farm. Then on the other side, we put uh, information about the canopy, the, the shade under which the coffee plants grow for this coffee. And so our coffees all grow under what we call a triple canopy, which means basically three layers of trees. There are the short, fast-growing trees. There are the middle-sized trees, which are typically fruit trees. And they're the really tall trees that take a long time to grow uh, that provide this sort of top-level shade. And so, for example, on the Honey Bear box, we, we say that this coffee grows under, on the low side, banana trees, in the uh, middle height, the mandarin or orange trees, and on the, uh, for the tallest trees in that particular area, it's the coral tree which is called the Bucaro in, in Spanish. I mean, in the spiritual side, I mean, so that is the, you know, scientific aspect, but there's nothing like going um, to a farm and picking a handful of soil on the coffee slope and, and feeling it because the, the farmers that are our partners, I mean, they, they love it. It's in their blood, their families. And so you're talking about, many tens of years of of that terroir being developed. And so it becomes very spiritual. I mean, as you're walking around and you hear the noises. And um, so, you know, when you talk about ecosystems, it really changes when you're in the place and, and what that feels like and the gleam in the eye. <laughs> and it's, and it's not all, it's not all romance either. I mean, the, these are all choices. I mean, which trees are planted around the coffee plants and, and things like that. They're all choices. They take a long time to develop because those medium and tall trees take years or decades to, to get tall enough to actually provide any. Right. Shade. So a producer as an agronomist is, um, is a real, I mean, it's, it's quite important actually, or whether they're trained agronomists or, if they just have learned and more of a, a practicing approach, but I mean, it's a choice to let certain leaves fall. And so you see the leaves being combined back into the soil. And so this triple canopy isn't just a, a marketing <laughs> idea. It's actually creating the soil that the coffee's growing. It's part of this mysterious cocktail that is the terroir that you hear about in French wine uh, or in really wine anywhere that word's been adopted pretty widely to explain the unexplained cocktail of, of factors that go into creating the taste of the thing. And the thing that we didn't really mention is also the seed variety or the varietal. So we have, we utilize Bourbon, Katura, Maragohipe, Katuai, a number of different types of coffee, more than just that, in our different coffees in order to create those tastes. And it's that concert between the, the seed variety and all those other factors that ultimately determine what's going to come out in the cup. And so this is key for us because, you know, I mean, this generic single origin concept that, uh, you know, just kind of names where it's from and names, you know, the farmer and um, in, the, in the coffee drinking countries. And so we're really, our a key to our success is to go farther than that because that's what we can do here because we are directly working 
in the country. And so we can get smaller lots. We can be very specific with defects. Um, we're not beholden to what they call American preparation or European preparation, which allows for the different levels of defects. Um, so primary defects would be things that are kind of hot in the news these days about molds, et cetera. And so we don't have any issues with those, that part of our um, one of defects the simplest, in our green coffee. One of the simplest examples I give people to illustrate a primary defect is imagine you've got coffee growing on on the hillside and the coffee seed, which becomes what you drink in your cup of coffee, grows inside of a small fruit. And that fruit is obviously very attractive to animals. So if an insect, for example, comes by and starts eating the fruit and gets to the seed, that will uh, affect the taste of the seed. It will stop the development or, or injure the seed. And that will create a bitter or off-tasting coffee. Yeah. And over-fermentation. So the, these kind of defects are what fundamentally affects the cleanness of the cup, as you say, which um, would be blended in um, in different to, to lower the price of the green coffee in general. And so we have zero primary defects in all of our coffees because we want to deal with the pure taste of the coffee sort of at its height. You know, what is the best example of this coffee? So we eliminate all of those and sell them on to other coffee companies that can. Right. So secondary defects would be more like the, the carrot that I, I think they're calling them imperfect produce that has nothing to do with the taste, um, but much more of a physical characteristic. Um, and so the minimum requirements for what we're using are what um, specialty coffee association would call specialty coffee. But because we live here, we're actually able to have more stringent standards and then just get a wider variety of interesting coffees that represent Nicaragua. And this was partly because of the passion that we wanted to put into our coffees and into this company, but it was also a bit strategic because it's hard to go into the marketplace with an average coffee and then tell people how different and special you are. And so one of the ways that we wanted to let people find us and, and be unique and special is to truly be unique and special in the best way possible. And so the best way possible for us was if you're just talking about the coffee itself, forget the packaging and the marketing and all that kind of stuff. Just talk about the actual thing that goes into your coffee filter. The best way to put your best foot forward there is to focus hard on it and to, to get zero primary defects coffee. To work with the farmers to figure out which region of the farm is producing different tastes of coffee. Then taste them, decide what we like ourselves and put that out there and, and really be able to stand behind it. And that's how we've, I don't want to talk too much about outside organizations and things like that, but that's how we've been able to be cup of excellence winners uh, for our coffees and, and earn various accolades from different organizations is because we just on the bean level, before it comes to any of the communication stuff, at the bean level, we're laser focused on finding what's best here in Nicaragua and presenting that to the world. And to me, pricing has been an interesting animal um, because when one looks at specialty coffees that are available, 
roasted outside of Nicaragua. They're, they're pretty expensive and there's no indication of quality. Okay, this was grown here. This was grown by this person. This was grown in this country. But there's actually no indication of the bat. And then there's usually some tasting notes, but nothing objective about the quality. Yet the prices, I think, are, are, are relatively high. You know, and of course, they have overhead. And so it's interesting, Ben, ask, um, friends have asked who would consider themselves wanting to really learn about specialty coffees and say, well, why does this cost that? And what it's often reflecting is the cost of living in that country. And so we've really been trying, because we're also selling Nicaragua, so we have to try to keep these prices comparable so that, you know, because of reflecting because of transportation, et cetera. But it's, it's been interesting to me to try to understand how to price, because if you price your coffee, I mean, what I would like to say is that we have this the biggest value in specialty coffee on, in the market. But how do you also communicate that it is of that quality? Because... Um, people have been, I mean, I guess the market has been taught that, oh no, you know, you need to really, you only need to buy 200 grams and, um, and that needs to cost at least $12. If you look at some of um, companies who use our flagship coffees as their, like a similar coffee as their reserve. And, and so trying to figure out this balance, which we're still, we're still there trying to figure it out. I mean, working, you know, it's a in yeah. progress. I mean, I think partly you and I, like to get a deal and so we're we like to offer a deal as well i mean i think that that is kind of why we haven't priced our coffees high even though the our two reserve coffees could certainly sell for 40 50 dollars a pound but we only sell them for 16.99 and 19.99 a bag and it's not because we couldn't charge more but it's really because we want these coffees to get out there we want people to be able to drink them. We don't want it to be an unachievable luxury. That's not to say that we won't have some rare thing that we release that's really expensive because it costs us a lot to do it. But for the coffees that we have, we can produce a reasonable amount of them and maintain the prices that we've got. And so... And pay well. I mean, this is not to sacrifice any part of... And that's what's interesting because there is, you know, a different cost of of living where the company lives. And so by living here, we don't have the kind of overhead, um, as much rent, et cetera, that is being charged in urban areas in other countries. And so we are able to produce at a more reasonable price without at all um, sacrificing. Well, except ourselves, of course, we're the owners. We don't get much vacation, paid vacation right. these days. <laughs> I think the the other aspect of quality is still related to taste, but but slightly slightly a different topic is is packaging, not how it looks, but how it performs, and also transportation. You know, these are not the things right. that people normally talk about in coffee. They typically talk about like the bean and right. Like, well, and the concept of freshness from the farm. Right. I mean, which is part of this transportation, but keeping it so normally that as that part is already determined for a roaster outside of Nicaragua. So they just, they get what they get. Um, and it's been handled the way it's been handled and they have no control over that. And so being able to control that does change the, in the cup. It's, it's not normally when we talk about freshness, people are talking about roasting only and they're not talking about 
how the coffee was cared for. How the coffee was, was cared first. for from the very first picking, um, because they just don't have any access to that knowledge, and so they can't talk about it. Right. Often a coffee that's purchased here uh, will go in a shipping container and go up and sit in a warehouse in Cleveland through the winter. It'll get frozen, unfrozen, etc., and it'll lose some of its taste. Whereas what we try to do, or what we do, is from the farm, the coffee comes here to our roastery, and we keep it in hermetic storage to lock in all the oils and all the tastes of the bean to really make sure that when the person drinks the coffee, it hasn't lost what it has. Because the, the taste of coffee is created at the farm. The roasting, all you can do with roasting is ruin a coffee. You can either maintain all the great stuff that was put in it by nature, or you can damage what was put into it by nature. You can't improve upon it. You can't add anything to it. And so what we do is keep it in hermetic storage, roast it fresh, and then airship it to uh, the final destination, unless it's in Nicaragua, then it just drops. Right. So at the end of the day, quality, well, I guess taste, let's start taste, I mean, just kind of as this final note, is really about understanding being able to taste, to sample, to say, oh, this is interesting. This is this varietal with a different curing style or from a different region, which is just virtually unheard of in the coffee world and in the specialty coffee world. And so being able to do that. So, of course, that means that we're not, no, we don't have that one coffee from that one obscure country in the world, but we do have obscure coffees from Nicaragua that being able to taste one, having a variety, having a, a whole line of coffees that represent one farm, one varietal, one style, and we knowing exactly what went into the bag is, is, is pretty rare. It is. And we could probably go on for hours about this, but let's wrap it up. So thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. This has been Brewing Conversation with Andrea Wolverton and Colin Ganley. Thank you for listening. For more connection to coffee and Twin Engine Coffee, go to TwinEngineCoffee.com or email us. We'd love to hear from you.